This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, Running with the Wolves, the werewolf in myth and speculative fiction part one. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so this was kind of Madeline's idea, um, based on the fact that I've been doing a lot of werewolf research recently. Yeah. And I was like, well, we've done a werewolf episode, but and then I looked into it and realised that we actually hadn't done a dedicated werewolf episode. I was actually kind of wrong. <laughs> yeah, you were like, and we've done like, a werewolf episode, and I'm like, I don't remember that. <laughs> it's like we talked about them, because we, yeah. we did... Um, yeah, we, d- we did an episode on the idea of a predator or beast within. Um, yeah. We did an episode on shape-shifting in general. And mm-hmm. we obviously mentioned werewolves in one of our Halloween cryptid episodes of last year. Yes. But a dedicated episode just for werewolves is not something we have done. So I stand corrected and I am thrilled because I have so much research to share with you all. Yes, <laughs> an incredible amount of research. And uh, of course, um, the reason that uh, I suggested doing an episode on werewolves is that Jules has very recently uh, released the latest Harker and Blackthorn. Which, uh, if you don't get from the from the title, I mean, like, really, that's on you. Um, the word wolf is in the title. Um, so, <laughs> like, I don't feel that's too much of a spoiler. Um, and, of course, I got all excited about it. And I was like, Jules, Jules, let's, let's you know, you've touched on this. Let, let's do a whole episode about the werewolves. And so here we are. Um, Now, uh, before we do get sort of into it, we should give a final little caveat uh, for anyone who's tuning in and thinking, oh yes, I like me a buff, ripped, sexy werewolf. I'm afraid we're not really looking into the uh, werewolves of paranormal romance, so we're going to disappoint you on that one, I'm afraid, guys. Um, we're looking at something a little bit different. Yeah, and as you probably guessed from me saying part one a moment ago, there will be a part two because um, even though I'm really trying not to bombard everyone with all the research I did, which by the way doesn't fit into two episodes, um, we thought we'd do the history and folklore in one episode and then next week you'll get our take on the werewolf in speculative fiction. Yes. And where that's evolved out of the history and folklore. Absolutely. Okay, well, with that in mind, shall we get started? Yes, so we'll start off with what is a werewolf, which sounds like it's going to be a really obvious question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, surprisingly, um, it's not an obvious question. It's a very complicated one. Um, Now, the easy answer is that a werewolf is a type of uh, therianthrope or a shapeshifter. Um, where a human can adopt a wolf shape. But that's the easy answer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, And as we delve into the folklore, you'll see why. Uh, Basically, uh, the the folklore inspired the later um, iterations of often tortured, strangely desirable creatures that you find in modern horror, fantasy, and even science fiction. Um, But as Madeline just said, things are far from that simple. Yeah. So, first of all, there is absolutely no consensus in law as to what a werewolf even is or how one manifests. 
Now, every culture has an equivalent shapeshifter, um, but these tend to differ from the werewolf, which is, which, sorry, in its idiosyncratic and often confusing presentation is almost always exclusively continental European, East European, or UK creation. Yeah. Now, we'll have said this before, definitely, because you know how I love etymology, but the word were is from the Old English and literally means man. However, man, in this context... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry. It's really funny. Sorry. (laughs) It just makes it really derpy. (laughs) It does. It does indeed. Um, Man in, in Old English literally means human race rather than it's not just talking about someone who happens to have a penis or you know a gender yeah um although the majority of werewolves in folklore are in fact male and that's for reasons we'll get into in a moment as well yes now in folklore of various sources a werewolf may undergo a full transformation into animal form or a partial transformation into a wolf hybrid form Um, Or, actually, no transformation at all, just to really keep you on your toes. Um, Now, the question you might ask at this point is, but how do you know the person is a werewolf if they don't transform? Well, in law, how a person acts and what their proclivities are uh, have far more to do with whether they are a werewolf than if they fully transform. And we've got a few grisly examples of that, which we'll get into in a minute. Yes. Um, In addition, werewolf was the name given to any violent semi-supernatural predator. So if you consider the French loup-garou, which is also used in the Cajun French from the Louisiana area, where the the loup-garou isn't really a werewolf, it's something complete, you know, it's of the same ilk, but it's not specifically a wolf. Um, Yeah, the loup-garou is the original figure which appears in Little Red Riding Hood, and it refers to a violent and depraved shapeshifter, but not specifically to someone taking a wolf's form. It can also mean sexual predator, which is kind of the case in Little Red Riding Hood, or versions of Little Red Riding Hood, anyway. Yes. Now, to further confuse the issue, uh, werewolves have undergone a dramatic change in perception and temperament over the last 100 and sorry not 120 years 1200 years i missed a zero there um uh, there are creatures in early medieval manuscripts which are clearly werewolves before the term itself was coined but which act very differently to our concept of the beast so we said it wasn't simple and thus we prove it isn't simple yeah uh, now Almost everything you know about werewolves is wrong. At least, it is in folklore terms. (laughs) We're going to go through a list and tell you where things really come from. Yes. So, the first one is the inherited werewolf genetics. Sorry, guys. That one comes from modern film and TV. Yeah. Transformation caused by full moon. It's from the movies. That's got no bearing in folklore at all. And when you think about when the early sort of hammer horror and uh, contemporary (coughs) horror films were being made, when they filmed something at night, it was very dark. And in order to have atmosphere and some light at all, it was a good idea to to use the full moon basically as kind of a prop 
and the two things became sort of you know you know inter- intertwined with each other but they don't actually have any bearing at all yeah and the thing is that they sort of fitted together anyway because of course there is this idea of the the full moon you know there's a whole bunch of folklore about that as well which is why i think a lot of people just went oh yeah that fits that works um but really in terms of the folklore about werewolves um there there wasn't any to do with the moon (laughs) realistically It, it doesn't cause a transformation Yes, and 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 wolves don't only howl when it's a full moon. In fact, wolves don't howl because of moons. Anyway, um, so the next is being killed by silver. Sorry, guys, that was vampires, uh, the high fae, and some revenants in folklore, and was adapted for werewolves in the film industry. Which, to be fair, fair cop, particularly since people like Bram Stoke had already equated sort of vampires with werewolves um you know so he kind of just said they're sort of the same thing and then of course they became separated again yeah so and it, in fairness he was kind of drawing on romanian folklore where a werewolf and a vampire did occupy a very similar <laughs> niche and uh, okay i'm just going to talk about the precolicky for a moment mm-hmm. the precolicky is basically a man who is violent and unprincipled in life and if he's bitten by a real genuine mundane wolf then chances are he will become a wolf if you then kill him and bury him and don't do it in the right way he will come back as a vampire (laughs) it's like double whammy (laughs) so it's kind of like you can't win you literally can't win he's he's obviously like the the village violent drunk or whatever and then he's a werewolf and then he's a vampire (laughs) it's like just just burn the corpse from the get-go he's literally more trouble than he's worth um okay so uh the next thing is fire okay so one uh that is fairly useful because it will just you know kill most things fire is pretty good at that um two not necessarily and three it's not actually in the law <laughs> yeah uh, th- there's this weird idea that werewolves when they're in their wolf skins are actually super flammable and i'm like that's clearly come from movies that that's not a thing um you know here's a check guys actual hair is not super flammable just by itself it's usually the oil or something that is coating the hair that is flammable yeah so you know bodily secretions oil etc werewolves are not naturally doused in in some sort of super flammable chemical they don't got like torches yeah i don't know what you're talking about like every wolf i've ever met has just been (laughs) one false step away from bursting into flames um also the whole not necessarily part is the fact that you know, if we look at werewolves to include things like the, the oh god, I can't say it off the top of my head now. Um, basically, the the Scandinavian wolf skins, who were like the the wolf versions of the berserkers, the bear skins. Yeah. Um, I've got it written down somewhere. Um, yeah, they were considered to be warded against fire and iron. So actually, fire wasn't going to wasn't going to cut it. No. <laughs> So yeah, um, okay, wolfsbane. Uh, wolfsbane, the purple form of the highly toxic aconite plant, was used in flying ointment, which is a compound of like bear grease, tallow, wax, various hallucinogenic plants, which I'm not going to list here, because I don't want people to try this at home. <laughs> um, but 
it, it made you feel as if you were flying on a broomstick or um, transforming into a wolf. And there's a good reason it made you feel like that. Yeah. If it didn't kill you outright. Um, <laughs> Nowadays, you can just go to your local drug <laughs> drug king. And uh... <laughs> yeah, I don't think the experience is quite the same. I wouldn't know. No. I haven't experimented with the whole thing. <laughs> and we um, also so really don't recommend it. <laughs> we really don't. Uh, but that, that was what where that kind of comes in and we'll talk about the witch trials and stuff in a moment um but you know the plant was also used to poison hunters arrows and wolf traps because it was generally a strong enough poison that it would actually drop a wolf um, wolves have this extraordinary ability to vomit up anything which is even slightly toxic to them so they're quite difficult to poison yeah um and they're also very difficult to shoot in general unless you're an absolute a shot so even just injuring one with an arrow that was tipped with with wolfsbane um, would work in that respect but in terms of does wolf wolfsbane repair repel werewolves no it doesn't it was used to repel vampires and evil spirits yes and again of course there was some sort of conflation in certain areas but it's you know if again we're really concentrating on the idea of the werewolf as it's understood yeah sorry uh, now, full transformation into a wolf or partial ha- transformation into a hybrid man-wolf. Well, not a single cultural folklore source can actually agree on that being a thing that's definitely yeah. real. You, you <laughs> I say have... real. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to transform into a wolf to be considered a werewolf. Yes. Basically, um, mindless with lust, rage and violence when transformed. Uh, there is some really, really icky history here that yeah. we might talk about. We might talk about Peter Stump, but um, no, that doesn't actually come from folklore. In fact, most sources suggest that werewolves are in the first instance not violent, and those that are known, those that are known to be violent, generally know exactly what they're doing. They don't lose their minds, they're just giving in to something that's already there, but they're well aware of what they're doing. Yes. And then finally, the very common idea, uh, which is incredibly prevalent, which is that being bitten by a werewolf turns you into a werewolf. Um, And unfortunately, there is no supporting evidence of that in folklore. There is, however, a large body of supporting evidence in folklore that suggests if you're bitten by a werewolf, you are dead. Yes. (laughs) Permanently dead. (laughs) I don't know, there might be a couple of Romanian accounts where you come back as a vampire because or a revenant or something, because the Romanians, you know, nobody's really dead until they're properly dead with a stake yes. in their heart kind of thing. And of course, there's always the possibility that some of these accounts or some ideas were put forward by rabid dogs biting people. You know, rabid dogs being sort of seen as werewolves or things like that because they were not behaving like dogs or behaving really like wolves. And then you yourself becoming rabid because you had rabies you know there's always this possibility that that rabies might have influenced a single source which then kind of grew or was adapted um but probably a lot of it is sort of later interpretation for dramatic storytelling effect yeah Okay, so how do you make a werewolf? Again, we're not <laughs> Here's one we prepared earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is not the Blue Peter version. <laughs> so um, all werewolves are made. They aren't born. Um, with the possible exception of the werewolves of Ossery, 
although that's likely to be an intergenerational curse or a magical practice passed down between family members rather than something which is inherently hereditary. Yeah. Um, just a quick mention of the werewolves at Ossery. Uh, we talked about it in one of our cryptid episodes from last Halloween, so yeah. go and check that out because I won't go into a lot of detail. But basically, um, when when the Church of the Celtic Rite um, <laughs> was was kind of going along quite happily, everyone was still basically pagan. Um, but it's like, yeah, okay, we'll we'll have the benefits of a monotheistic religion over the top of us, but we're still going to do our own thing. Um, you had saints who were going around places in Ireland trying to convert the Cheftons, mm-hmm. because if you converted the Chefton, then all his people were by default converted as well. So it's kind of like playing, I don't know, for world domination in in in, in some in, in something like um, Risk. Yeah. Um, but uh, when uh, Saint Natalus went to Ossory um, and tried preaching about. You know Jesus Christ and the one God, etc. All, all the gathered Cheftons turned and they howled at him like wolves. And they're so offended at him that he prayed to God and God cursed them so that they really did turn into wolves. Um, at this point, this gets a bit stupid, and you can read <laughs> Gerald of Wales's account if you want to. Um, where, because basically they were wolves, so they were super strong, super fast, and they were as intelligent as humans. So. It wasn't really that much for punishment. Yeah, I don't actually think it was God. I think it was probably one of the pagan gods who went, "All right, you're going to get what all you right asked then." For. <laughs> um, but I will say that um, you know, Ossery doesn't actually exist as a kingdom anymore. But it's around where some of my ancestors came from in sort of Kil- yeah. Killarney and various other places. And um, allegedly, there is still a strain of people who have the uh, the talent to turn into wolves there. But it does suggest, if you read any of the chronicles, that actually this is a magical talent that was that was taught. It wasn't actually something that was inherent within the bloodline, if you like. Yeah, so what Jules is trying to convince us is that she <laughs> is not a werewolf, um, which I think is pretty suspect. Um, so you heard it here first, Jules is a werewolf. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so... <laughs> Uh, not all all werewolves are made, they are not born. Uh, now, sometimes in order to become a werewolf, all, all you had to do was wear a wolfskin belt or wear a wolfskin cloak. Um, I assume that these weren't just regular wolfskin belts or, or cloaks, that there was some magical element to it. And yeah. it wasn't just that people went, hoo hoo hoo. <laughs> if I recall correctly, having read this from a something like a 14th century manuscript somewhere um you had to don the belt or the cloak you had to strip naked don the cloak or the belt and then you would daub a certain preparation all over your skin which turned out to be flying ointment when i looked into it yeah so again i'm not saying that there's real efficacy in this entire method it's just a case of i expect if you expected to become a werewolf and then you applied flying ointment which by the way is super super hallucinogenic and absorbed through the skin then you probably would have that experience yes you'd certainly have a experience yeah um (laughs) it might be your last experience as well because one of the things it would do is i mean it affects your sympathetic um musculature so things like your heart and and your pupils and your gut Mm. Um, everything would be kind of working a hell of a lot faster which um, so, yeah. could also explain the painful transformation idea 
Yeah, um. <laughs> it could. <laughs> okay, um, another way. Drinking water from the imprint of a wolf's paw. So a wolf's paw print in the woods and you drink rainwater from it. Mm-hmm. And that is, was supposed to give you the talent to turn into a wolf. I don't think this was an exclusively a wolf's thing, but it turns up in werewolf folklore most often and mm. does seem to be a pure, genuine folklore belief. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure there's something in Irish folklore whereby if a, ma- a wealthy man or a man with the gift of the gab or something passes you by and you drink water from his footprint, you're supposed to gain some of his talent something like that so yeah as i said it's quite a common folklore motif it's it's literally the idea of walking in someone's shoes except yeah. uh, <laughs> drinking from them Drink- instead yes <laughs> folklore it can be kind of gross <laughs> yes now um there was also the idea that being bitten by an ordinary wolf uh could cause it but you'll only change if you are already a violent or unprincipled man so you kind of already had to have an inner wolf as it were and this bite could kind of provoke out of you which is perhaps the closest we get to the idea of a bite a werewolf sort of being able to pass its curse through a bite yeah absolutely and I think it's worth mentioning at this point, it says man, and this is not me being uh, sexist or anything. It's like if you look at the folklore resources almost exclusively, it is a man in this scenario. Um, the reason for this, I personally believe, looking at the number of records I've looked at, is the fact that the term werewolf at some certain points became, it, you know, it was kind of their way of saying serial killer. It was their way of saying sex offender or a sexual predator yeah um, the idea that essentially you had there had to be something supernatural deeply, yeah deeply wrong with you um and i i have not really gone into some of the the grossest accounts but there was and a lot of them seemed centered around france for some reason so no offense but for some reason france was really good at their record keeping on this yeah <laughs> Um, but um, if, for example, there was one man who was accused of being a werewolf, and he did admit it, and he admitted it before torture. Uh, possibly because they showed him the instruments, he went, "Yeah, it's a fair fucking cop. I'm a werewolf." <laughs> you know, <laughs> that might if be I'm going to die anyway. <laughs> but they did know him to be a sex offender, and he, most unusually for a serial rapist, did not have a preference between men and women, and he had attacked uh, youths of both types. And by youths, I mean sort of 18 over. So he wasn't a paedophile, but he would get uh, young shepherdesses and young shepherds and things by themselves or when they were walking through the woods and and sexually prey upon them. Mm. Quite often he would then kill them and he might even eat a bit of the body, you know, just because what he's not want not. Right. Um, So that's that's one example. And they didn't have a word for that sort of thing. Nobody had come up with serial killer or, you know, you know what, there's something really psychologically wrong with you. So he was hairy on the inside. The wolf inside him prompted him to do these things. Yeah. And again, they were almost exclusively men. And we do know that most serial killers tend to be male. You do get a few females, but generally they're men. Yeah. Okay. Um, So another way that you could become a werewolf was if you went for a, uh, a wander about at midnight in the woods and you met the devil. Yes. 
Um, that seems like the most inconvenient way to do it. <laughs> just like the devil's like, oh for fuck's sake, I'm trying to have a walk. <laughs> trying to forest bathe. <laughs> he's like, it's also just like, sweetheart, where are you going? I'm just going off into the woods. Uh, I'm look. I'm trying. Are you are you looking for the devil again? Well, you never know. All right, well, don't stay out too late. It's, it's just, it does feel quite inconvenient for everybody involved. I mean, all joking aside, I think the point was, if you happen to, it was kind of one of those, you mustn't do this, or you might meet the devil and he'll turn you into a werewolf things, rather than, no, if you want to become a werewolf, this is how you do it. I'm going to show you how in three easy steps. Yeah, <laughs> three easy steps. <laughs> One, you need some woods. Two, you need a devil. <laughs> Three, you need to go for a walk. <laughs> and hey, presto. Anyway, um, so another one was uh, you could have a curse laid on you by a sorcerer, saint, or god. Um, it always amuses me how those three things are conflated in a story it's like it could be a sorcerer it could be a saint or it could be god almost like they're all one and the same i mean this is actually the most common method the most common method in folklore and myth of becoming a werewolf is to have a curse laid upon you yeah uh, for something you did you either did something that was so abhorrent in the sight of god or the gods that you were cursed for it mm-hmm. um, or you offended a saint who, who's like oh, yeah I'm going to speak to God about this <laughs> like you know werewolves of Ostery um, and you know uh, Saint Patrick and another set of wolves where again they all had to be wolves for like seven years or something I can't remember the exact details but it's in that cryptid episode yeah um, yeah that is the most or you know a sorcerer in fact, while we're talking about the sorcerer, let's just mention the the phenomenon of of the wolf specken or wolf second and the wolf bannon. Um, yes, because I didn't mention later on. Um, there were there were again generally men. They were almost exclusively men who did this, um, but they were basically wizards who specialised in wolf magic. Um, and you had a wolf second or wolf specken, which means wolf speaker somebody who could intercede with mundane wolves on behalf of you or your village and ward the wolves away from your crops and well not your crops so much but your livestock and your family etc yeah um, w- wolves that away. are interested in wheat are a, it's a different <laughs> thing entirely <laughs> yeah. um and the the wolf bannon was was kind of the same thing although with the stronger sense of you know, they'll banish the wolf from the area mm. um the the received wisdom was that they also had some say about werewolves or banishing predators, so banishing the very human predators or the perceived supernatural human predators as well. Hmm. Um, and you know, this was just something that it was a way of them making a little bit of money as well. Um, there were all sorts of charms and things, and they, they've lost a lot of it because it wasn't written down. Um, and we're, we're going to talk about you know the witch trials later and what exactly happened to the wolf speckers, wolf bannons. Uh, but it was quite a common practice right up until sort of the fifteen hundreds when everything went a bit pear shaped. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the whole they were supposed to, in theory, also be able to turn you into a wolf. Mm-hmm. There is no real documented folklore on this. There's just little snippets here and there. But again. The whole witch trial scenario kind of eroded a lot of what we 
would have known before so we have lost a lot of information there yeah absolutely um okay so um as well as being cursed uh, you could call upon basically this sort of curse by eating human flesh um yes which this is an interesting one because you really do there are a lot of sort of different folklores whether it's centered on wolves or not with the concept of the cons- the consumption of human flesh making you monstrous turning you into something other yeah um the very specific example is a greek myth king lycos who was called upon to entertain zeus and so he had one or was it two of his children cooked for a banquet yeah i think it was his son wasn't it was his son yeah. yeah and served up and zeus obviously being a god knew what happened and in a rare sort of fit of having some sort of principles at all. <laughs> Zeus, Zeus was rather offended by this. And he said, I, you know, before I eat of that, you will eat of it. Seeing, you know, if Lycos would actually consume his own child. And Lycos was kind of like, yeah, okay. It, it is the all father, I guess. I'd better do something. Um, at some of his son. And Zeus was absolutely disgusted and turned him into a wolf. And, you know, there's more to the story than that. But it is essentially where that comes from and then it pops up in folklore again and again you know to the point where this is where you get the idea that werewolves don't necessarily have to change they uh, can be people who indulge in cannibalism and they're mm-hmm. considered werewolves again it's werewolf synonymous for yeah serial killer cannibal rapist yeah. etc and again we might that there, there may be some ideas and things like that which come from the actual physical problems that come with cannibalism particularly if you eat the wrong part of yes. uh, of a person. True, um, for example. Yeah, exactly. Which might have influenced certain folklore, certain ideas, which then kind of were funneled into modern media. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, the next one's unbelievably gross, but having sexual congress with your children. This is not how to become a werewolf as such. This is more a sign that you are one. Yeah. So again, we've got werewolf synonymous with paedophile, sex offender, serial killer, etc. Um, yeah. I'm not going to go into great details about Peter Stumpf, who was convicted of being a werewolf, uh, tortured and horribly executed yeah. in Germany back in, I think it's the 1600s. Um, but certainly some of what he confessed to, he did actually do, and that included having sex with his his teenage daughter and um, uh, eating one of his other children and attacking and killing various other people. So yeah, um, so, uh, I think a lot of it was sensationalized for the wood pr- the wood cut. You know. Yeah. It, it, it. The thing is, I say it's an interesting case, and I, I don't mean that in a. It's it's a horrific case. Um, what's What's interesting is essentially they they basically said they caught him because the the werewolf was said to have had uh, had its paw cut off yeah. and uh peter stump basically meaning peter stump was missing a hand now what this could mean is basically we've had these reports of this predator who has been preying on people who only has one hand and that's how we've managed to identify this person within this small community or you know uh, it might literally have just been they saw a wolf which was 
missing a poor and and sort of some kind of assumption was made um we don't know what we yeah. do know is that he basically confessed to he loved his son um but he confessed to this idea that essentially he couldn't help himself he loved his son but the wolf inside of him made him bash his son's brain in and sorry bash his head in and and eat his brain um that was very specific the the massive tragedy is that peter stump was not the only one who was executed his no. daughter um and his lover were both executed which i think is incredibly unfair um all things considered yeah the, this sort of um hyster- hysterical idea that they were somehow contaminated by his actions um, and i suppose in a sense they were contaminated by the fact that they'd had they were victims of him um, yeah but they wanted to stamp out anyone who was like i mean i think if you've got somebody who is so far outside the, the taboo Mm-hmm. that they are willing to eat other people and do all these other things that and everyone it, you know, everyone's having sort of that moment with their hairs on the back of their neck going up yeah um, i can understand people going i need an explanation a supernatural one's the only one that fits we have to make sure we stamp this out but you're right it's terribly unfair yeah um, and of course even though we can say it does appear that he did commit these crimes there's no way we can know for sure and it is possible that his confession was entirely based on the horrific torture that he was placed under um, and that perhaps all he was ever guilty of was being a man with only one hand um, we don't know It's that's just unfortunately the way of it um, but it's certainly it's very very gruesome stuff uh, the other thing we, I will say before we move on to our next bit is the fact that when you're looking at um, werewolf cases um, in historical record, a lot of them weren't necessarily written from notes taken at the time. They were written from memory afterwards and quite often sensationalised. Yeah. Yeah. Though I do think with the case with Peter Stump, um that was one of the rare cases where the writing came relatively soon after during the case yeah yeah definitely even the translation arrived very very soon in in the uk and in fact there's still existing copies of the pamphlets um i think it's in the the british national library yeah anyway (laughs) how do you kill a werewolf (laughs) with all this information in mind yes (laughs) Okay, so unfortunately there is absolutely no definite finite way to kill a werewolf in folklore. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> I mean, in theory, you can use any method that would kill a human, but you have to get close enough to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, even guns are chancy because werewolves are more durable than humans. And, you know, if you miss, that's... You're, you're the dead person basically yeah um i i should like to point out a lot of people think that guns are just oh well a gun will always work like no just, you still have to be able to aim you, you have to be able to <laughs> aim and not only that i mean there are animals in the world where you can shoot them several times and it won't kill them there are wild pigs in america you can shoot them in the face and they won't die Okay, so you you have to accept that even if you did get a good shot in, that doesn't necessarily mean it would kill the werewolf. Yeah. Or it, it doesn't mean it would kill it straight away. That's the real problem. Yeah, and 
it will live long enough and be pissed off long enough to do yeah. some serious damage. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, if you try and shoot a real wolf, you have to be a good shot because they are fast. Yes. Um, and they're pretty canny. I mean, they're a lot more intelligent than dogs. I think that's where some of the werewolf mythos has come from as well. The fact that wolves themselves are so much more intelligent when it comes to sort of problem solving in a way that's almost uncanny to us. Yeah. I mean, I know they're not sort of wolves, but you know, coyotes, they can tiptoe. Coyotes tiptoe. That's terrifying. You can kind of understand, like, if if you've got these animals that sort of uh, learn behaviours, you know, they can pick things up very, very quickly. The other thing coyotes do is they will surround your house or your property. Uh, This is sort of the big ranches out in sort of America and what have you. And they will call, and they will call in such a way that it sounds like there's only one or two of them. Yeah. But there's not. There's about eight or nine of them. And what they're trying to do is get your dog to come out or whatever, or get one of you to come out, and then they'll have a go. Yeah. But they recognise the shape of a gun. So that you go out with a gun and they tend to run off because it's like, oh, yeah, we're not taking on a gun. Yeah. But the fact that they know this and they've reasoned it and they've taught it to their pups is... You know, we like to think we're the only intelligent animals. We're not. We've just got a different type of intelligence. Yeah. So, um, uh, bearing in this in mind, what are some of the things you could do to try and uh, stop uh, a werewolf? Well, um, there are actually methods which are supposed to persuade a werewolf to return to their human form. Yes. Um, so some of these include uh, calling them by their full Christian name. Uh, now, there's some debate over whether the person doing this has to be in love with the werewolf. No, just love the werewolf. Oh, sorry. Doesn't have to be in love. With oh, doesn't have to be in love. Sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah it, can, it can be familial love as well and things like that. Um, but there is only one reliable instance of it happening in folklore with a supporting story yeah and i think it would uh, it was a sister calling to her brother and i believe it's of german origin but i would need to check that um my argument is that only someone who loved the werewolf would hang around long enough to call <laughs> by their name in the first place. Yeah. So it's like we don't really know <laughs> yeah it could just be anyone <laughs> the guy who you owe 10 quid from the pub <laughs> Yeah, does he love you, though? I suppose. <laughs> no, might do if you own 10 quid. Yeah, yeah, maybe it isn't about love. Maybe it's just about the person who's willing to hang around long enough. Um, <laughs> it would have to be more than 10 quid, I'm afraid. <laughs> yes, that's all the person is very serious about debts. Um, <laughs> the the next is uh, throwing a piece o- a piece of iron over the werewolf's head um and again i'm pretty sure there's only one instance of this in recorded folklore isn't there yeah there is and this is one where it's one of the werewolf tales where there seems to be some sort of fairy involvement even though they don't use the term fairy Mm -hmm. so again at that point it's like well we can probably discount that as werewolf law because if you've got a, a fey type creature that has created the curse then you're undoing it with the eye and it's not really anything to do with werewolf law as such yeah though like i do have to ask because it's like throwing a piece of iron over the werewolf said does that just mean you're like you know if you frisbee a, a horseshoe over their head 
that's okay. Or are we talking like, do you have to clank them over the head with it? <laughs> I think it was an iron chain. Right, so okay. It went, it went around the wolf's neck. So again, you've got to be pretty dedicated to yeah. do that. <laughs> you can't just bop them on the head with a wrench. Alas. Um, okay. <laughs> And finally, the idea that someone who loves the werewolf being able to restore the creature's mind temporarily is is kind of quite fashionable um, in so much as they, they can control the creature long enough that the creature uh, essentially holds still, um, allowing them to be killed by others. Yeah. Um, there are vague references of this in folklore, but it doesn't appertain just to werewolves. It can appertain to, I think, there's a couple of vampire cases yeah. and a few other things as well. Um, most likely this has been expounded on by the film industry. Uh, I like it as a great tragic and romantic idea. It has a nice sort of roundness, so as a writer, it's it's a piece of narrative fun in that respect. But in terms of being canonical werewolf lore, um, not sure, really. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, perhaps that you're sitting at home and you've been like, oh, well, I've heard this or things like that. Um, th- there is so much stuff that... And the problem with folklore is that one can never truly 100% rely upon any source because <laughs> there's always suspect of who wrote it down, why did they write it down, did they edit it themselves... Um, and you could say, oh, well, my grandmother told me this. And you'll ask, where did your grandmother learn it from? Um, so we just, we, there, are, there are never any definites, but certainly from what we have managed to sort of accumulate through our own research um, suggests these things. Yeah. Now, to understand what a werewolf is in folklore terms, we need to consider the intimate relationship our European UK ancestors had with nature. Um, wolves have learned to avoid people now and you know we've hunted them pretty much to extinction in almost all of Europe and Mm -hmm. a a large proportion of Eastern Europe Um, we're not their favourite prey but if they're hungry enough they will eat us yes Um, and there's evidence that our hunter-gatherer ancestors learned how to hunt big game by watching wolves work together and it was that cooperative hunting methodology that allowed them to bring down you know, Negoceros and um, Mammoth and things like that. And just being able to do that and having that access to meat meant we developed, our frontal lobes developed even more. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's what turned us into the apex predators we are today. Um, so we, we kind of owe that to wolves to a certain extent. Um, that and the opposable thumb, obviously. Yes, um, the, the, <laughs> the opposable thumb has certainly been of great help. Yeah, I mean, so the wolf was both respected and feared as kind of like a totemic animal and as an animal in its own right that was dangerous. Um, it's likely that the way wolves organise in large family units with a strong hierarchy also resonated with our ancestors because we tend to be hierarchical animals ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and there must have been several occasions where wolves and humans work together because the large variety of dogs which exist today is proof of that. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm still thinking about whacking um, a wolf over the head of the wrench. Um, you are welcome yeah. to try it. I don't think it's going to go well for No, you. I don't think it is going to go well for me. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, now, it is also kind of important to remember that wolves are actually not the most successful predators. Um, in fact, only one in ten um, of their hunts actually result in a kill on average. But for humans, they are possibly the most understandable in terms of their tactics, in terms of their approach. And, you know, their family setup and what have you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a, a final thought on this segment. Werewolf legends may well have endured uh, well beyond the wolf itself's extinction um, out of our sort of nascent longing for wilderness and our recognition that we are poorer for having eradicated the wolf from so much of its natural habitat. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about transformation um, and the history of werewolves in that regard. So the English werewolf was not automatically an evil creature. This might surprise people. Now, obviously it was recognised as dangerous um, and someone, you know, who can transform or channel a wolf was definitely to be respected and lauded if they were part of your household. Yeah, I mean, it was useful having one of the big bads in your house that was on your side. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if, if there is going to be someone who can transform into a wolf, better if they're a... <laughs> if they're your friend. If they're your friend. Um, um, now, the, the Romans did respect the wolf. Um, they obviously recognised that the wolf, the animal, was dangerous. And yeah. it wasn't that they didn't hunt wolves, what have you. Uh, but... They were careful about it. Um, She-wolves were considered sacred, especially at certain times of the year. Mm -hmm. And there was Luper, the wolf of Rome, who may be the only non-humanistic deity that the Romans actually really had. Yeah. Um, Obviously, this comes from the the story of Romulus and Remus, suckled by a she-wolf. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, the Celtic Bretons revered the wolf as the pathfinder and the guide of the dead which, again, there's a kind of a symmetry to that, isn't there? Yeah. Um, the early Saxons took on a lot of the Celtic and Norse beliefs about wolves, and this was reflected in their belief about werewolves. Uh, great families were supposed to have an ulfhedmar, or wolf skin, attached, and it was an honour to have a warrior of that calibre in your household. So once again, the werewolf was was a, a guardian and a warrior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, <laughs> if you're going to have that guy, might as well have him on your side. Um, now, early Irish accounts speak of the, um, is it the, uh, the, the Fowler? Uh, Fowley. Fowley, thank you. Ah, oh, Irish spelling. <laughs> yeah, D-H is a Y sound. Yeah, <laughs> the Fowley. <laughs> the Fowley, who were a clan... Um, rather, who was a clan guardian who was especially devoted to the protection of the clan children. Um, uh, consider also the werewolves of Ossery and the Fienna um, of, you know, the yeah. Fenian cycle, Fienna. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's an awful lot of Irish werewolf stories, far too many for us to get into, but it's definitely something that if you're interested, have a look at it. Um, but the the Fowler was especially interesting in the sense of the, you know fierce warrior but incredibly protective, and it seems to to be that they spent most of their time either stuck in wolf form or stuck in a sort of man form with a wolf head. Yeah. If you look at the the early Irish depictions of them; it kind of like they always had a wolf head. <laughs> Sorry, um, it's the question of what is a wolf? Uh, a, a, a a man with with a wolf's head. <laughs> 
yeah it, it's um you know it's kind of as werewolves go it's kind of cuddly mind you a lot of irish werewolf stories are not about the wolves really attacking anybody the wolf sort of mocks you or the wolf tells you to go away a lot <laughs> it's like stop bothering me go yeah. away yeah um if and it might interest people to know that there are hundreds of werewolf reports in ireland every year to the police <laughs> i just love the werewolf like oh bugger off <laughs> Of course, Ireland isn't the only place where a werewolf might tell you to bugger off because the Shetlands also have a, a variation um, called the Wolver, who is also an upright bipedal creature with a wolf's head. Poor thing. Um, and it will actually leave you alone as long as you're not bothering it. It actually prefers to prey on fish, which does make me imagine you're just walking down the pier and there's just a wolf-headed man just fishing. Yep. And he'll just look around at you like, bugger off! <laughs> um, there are actually several stories where the wolver um, pitied poor hungry families and would actually lay presents of freshly caught fish on their windowsills. That'll do you. Yeah. <laughs> You've left me alone. Here is a fish. <laughs> okay, later in more verifiable history, in the 9th or 10th centuries, the wolves became such a menace in the north of England that King Athelstan gave permission for a hostel to be built in the Yorkshire Wolds. This is called Spittlehoe, and it no longer exists, even though the site is still there and a town now exists sort of nearby. Yes. Um, but you can go up the hill and you can kind of see roughly whereabouts it was. Um, basically, this was so that travellers could shelter from wild animal attacks and bad weather. Um, if you ever travel to Romania and you decide to go up into the Carpathians, why wouldn't you, to be honest? Um, but if you go up there, you'll find there's lots of these sort of little hostel type structures all the way around. Because, again, if someone gets stuck up there because of sudden snowfall or, you know, guess what? The wolves are a bit hungrier than usual. Yeah. You've got somewhere to withdraw to. So this is, this is a practice that's been going on for like thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the wolves were so clever. These are the mundane wolves, presumably. Presumably. Um, presumably. Like, stories emerged that they were really wicked men transformed into wolves, and allegedly they were supposed to follow you around by day, learning your name, and then at night lure you out to where they lay in wait by calling you. Um, the real wolves certainly did dig up the dead in winter and would feed on the corpses, and they would take uh, lone humans if they could. Um, it, it, you have to notice that the snows were very heavy. We we at that point in time we just started to enter the mini ice age, mm-hmm. which didn't end until sort of the mid Victorian era. Yeah. So winters were very cold. There was lots of snow. Uh, food was scarce, and we tended to take our you know our, our livestock and keep it indoors, which the wolves had difficulty getting to then. Yeah. So at that point, the wolves were like, fine, I'll eat your dead. I'll eat your small child running across the yard. I'm not fussy. Yeah, I will eat what I can. If it's small um, or available, it's going um, in my tum-tum. But it's, it's noticeable that one of the areas in England that has the greatest concentration of werewolf mythology and werewolf folklore is actually around the Yorkshire Wolds areas. Yeah, um, and, you know, when we come to talk about what inspired a lot of cultural werewolves, we will talk more about the Flixton werewolf. Yes, um, which has directly come out of these these Saxon stories. Yeah, of course, there's also a parallel between the advance of Christianity um, and the persecution of the wolf and and werewolves, not just in 
England, but across the British Isles. Yeah, and, and uh, across Europe. I mean, Europe seemed to get there a lot faster than us. Yeah. Um, basically, the UK and Ireland stayed essentially pagan for far longer than the rest of Europe because they were island kingdoms. So, um, y- you know, the Church of Rome didn't really have as great a hold. It's much harder for people to advance against them. Yeah. Um, but in Ireland especially was heavily wooded, so a lot of people tried to rock up to Ireland, conquer it. And I'm like, we're screwed, we can't go through the trees, kind <laughs> of thing. And also the trees are full of these really fierce warriors who like to chop off limbs and then stop you bleeding out by by pressing, um, but basically searing the skin shut with fire. And then they just leave you like that. And that was kind of an effective warning for a lot of people. <laughs> was yeah. Like, yeah, maybe we just won't go there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just love the ideas like we're gonna we're gonna take Ireland. Oh, no one said they had trees. Um, but no, seriously. <laughs> so yeah, most petty kingdoms were happy to accept a monotheistic religion as an overlay. And then they would happily worship their old gods, now called saints, underneath. And this went on in some form until ten sixty six decided things. Yes. Um, however, even then, England, Wales, Scotland and Ireland were recalcitrant in embracing the Roman Catholic Church. In the medieval era, contrary to popular modern belief, very few ple- people believed in Satan, the devil or hell as a lake of fire and eternal torment. In fact, you were considered rather ignorant and ill-educated if you did. The idea that medieval England was the site of numerous witch burnings is almost completely false. Mm. We did burn heretics, yes, but the thing was, um, while... We did have a few witchcraft trials, very few, literally just a handful. They tended to be women who were very well established, who could be um, accused of heresy as well. Witchcraft was very incidental as part of the the heresy accusation. And people wanted them out of the way because they were wielding political weight or they had a lot of money. Mm -hmm. There was absolutely no point sort of persecuting the herb wife because she didn't have anything. So why would you do it? Yes, and it's also important to remember that murderers and things like that, particularly if you had a woman who was a murderer, um, just as we've discussed before, um, kind of applying the word witch or werewolf um, was was just a sort of way of explaining why they had done what they had done. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot more werewolves in Europe than there were witches, um, but in UK in the UK it did tend to be more witches Um, but of course there wasn't really the same sense of separation between these things Um, now of course uh, things really began to change when uh, uh, Henrik Kramer who as Jules has wonderfully pointed out (laughs) really does seem to be one of the original incels uh, published his rather horrific book the malleus maleficarum in 1489 Um, oh sorry 1486 my apologies um malleus maleficarum it means the hammer of the witches um and the book (laughs) initially actually was a flop um no one was particularly interested but about sort of 50 years later um it ended up leading to the brutal European witch trials which really do make Salem look like a birthday party Um, and for the purpose of this discussion also the werewolf trials yeah I mean the the thing I'll say about Kramer and Malleus Malaficarum was I really do think he was an incel because it was literally a beautiful woman turned him down 
Yeah. And he was humiliated, so he wrote the Malleus Maleficarum. Yeah. There was probably more to it than that, but it was kind of like, she's beautiful, I can't control my lustful thoughts around her, and she won't have me. Yes. He, um... I mean, there's obviously socio-political, um, economical, and religious things that fed into the witch trials and the werewolf trials as well, but yeah. Malice Maleficarum was used as a tool to advance that agenda. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which brings us on to the werewolf trials, which we did not have in England because we no. extinctified the wolf at that point. Yes, um, so... It was all witches in in, in England, and uh, because there were no wolves, uh, but wolf werewolves across uh, the rest of Europe. Um, so, the werewolf trials did run um, concurrent with the witch trials, um, and there was some overlap. A person accused of witchcraft might also be accused of lycanthropy, um, or am I saying that right? Lycan- lycanthropy. Like Ly- lycanthropy. <sighs> Words are so hard. Um, lycanthropy um, being obviously the uh, the sorcery of of transforming into a wolf or being a werewolf, etc. Yeah. Um, what's? I mean, uh, if, like, again, I'm sorry, I'm taking France as an example, but France's record keeping again was better. <laughs> I'm not, look, I'm not personally, you know. <laughs> like, I'm sort of apologising to anyone French who's listening. It's not just you, Madeline. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the idea that French people would be like, "How dare you!" <laughs> um, but it, I, and I, at the mo- in a moment, I will briefly talk about the Wolf of Soissons, and, and we can see why exactly people felt there were werewolves in France. And I'm like, actually, I can kind of see your point. Yeah. Um, but basically, yeah, it was one of the only examples of mass persecution where as many men as women were accused, and that's very specifically the werewolf trials. Yeah. Um, not the witch trials that were running concurrent. Um, there are at least 30,000 cases of accused werewolves in France uh, during a sort of like 100 year period. Wow. Uh, I don't think all of them were executed, but that's pretty bad. And, you know, the stuff they did to to people who were werewolves were similar to what they did to people accused of being witches, but not exactly the same. I mean, there were things like... um, there was a lot of effigy making. There was a lot of nailing hands and feet to wooden poles and then burning the bodies. And um, basically, if you're really interested in the gory day t- details, you can go and you can go and have a look. But <laughs> it's not great. No. Um, now, they, some of this, obviously, we've, we've said there were religious implications. There was the Malleus Maleficarum. There was socio-economical stuff. We'd we'd entered that ice age period and. The church was getting a a greater grip on things as well. So there were lots and lots of reasons why the witchcraft trials and werewolf trials went ahead. Um, But they may also have been prompted by particularly dangerous mundane wolves as well. Yes. Uh, Which brings us to the wolf of Soissons. So on the 1st of March, near the hamlet of Corcelles, a man was attacked by a wolf and survived with head wounds. The next victims were two young boys named Bouchard and Marichel, I believe. Who were attacked on the road to Paris, both were badly wounded. Then a farmer on horseback lost part of his face to the wolf before escaping a local mill, where a 17-year-old boy was caught unaware and slain. After these atrocities, the wolf fled to uh, Bazoche, I believe, where it partially decapitated a woman and severely wounded a girl who ran screaming to the village for help. 
Four citizens of Basoche set an ambush at the body of the latest victim, but when the wolf returned, it proved too much for them. It proved too much for four grown men. And the villagers soon found themselves fighting for their lives against this single wolf. The arrival of more peasants from the village finally put the wolf to flight. Um, They chased it into a courtyard where it fought with a chained dog. When the chain broke, the wolf was pursued through a pasture where it killed a number of sheep on the way and then into a stable where a servant and cattle were mutilated. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just the idea it's being pursued through a field, but it's like, well, gotta keep up the trend and yeah. just pauses um, to kill a few more things. <laughs> sorry, please continue. The episode end- ended when Antoine Savoyer, a former member of the local militia, tracked the wolf to a small lane armed with a pitchfork. The wolf sprang at him, but he managed to pin its head to the ground with the instrument, holding it down for around 15 minutes as it struggled to get away before an armed peasant came to his aid and killed the animal. Uh, Savarel was rewarded uh, by Louis the 15th of France for his bravery. Basically, people, everyone thought this, this wolf was fucking possessed. It did not appear to have rabies. Hmm. And over a period of two days in 1765, it attacked 18 people and four of whom died from their wounds and several of them who died outright. And that's not counting all the sheep and cattle. It literally just went on an absolute murder spree. Yeah. It was a whirly gig of destruction. (laughs) And and that's one of those things where every so often we, in our comfortable human cultural world where we're kind of like our biggest danger is each other, are suddenly reminded that actually nature does have teeth. Yes. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I think a lot of people in the UK sort of forget how close kind of nature really is at any given time. Um, Yeah. And if you are in rural France, um, you can just be sitting in the garden when you might suddenly have something erupt from, from the bushes. Like I'm not kidding. Um, but my our most re- one of our most recent trips, we were out walking on the road and we saw something huge and black in the distance. And at first, I thought it was a cow. Um, and it was a wild boar. And fortunately, it was in the distance, and it was just crossing the road. Um, but it was. You think you know what size they're going to be? You really don't. And those things kill. <laughs> they do. I mean, to be honest, if you if you're in the forest of Dean and you hear a rustling, there might be is a chance it could be a wild boar as well. So <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's you know I I appreciate or, that it's it's not or just a big black in cat. or a big black cat. Yes, we've got it on film now. We have a big black cat around Gloucestershire. Yeah, of course we also have bears um, in certain yeah. parts of France as well, which again you don't want to meet if you're out on a walk. <laughs> Um, but that's the thing it it is you can just be everything can just be normal you can be in a car you can be you know in a house with electric lighting and then all at once you look through the window and there is something which feels primordial is obviously the wrong word but it feels like it's something of the ancient world um, and it's not it's still there it's still waiting (laughs) it will still kill you (laughs) if it if it has a need to. Yeah. Um, now, I used the Wolf of Soissons as an example, but there's quite, again, France being really good at documenting things for some reason. Mm. Um, or maybe it was just easier for me to find it because I can read enough enough French badly enough to go, oh, this is about a wolf. 
Um, but yeah, uh, where they, the wolf, and or maybe it's a cultural thing, maybe it's a case of where people are spread out over this very rich agricultural land, they're more likely to come into contact with wolves. Mm-hmm. Because you're straying into a wolf's territory and we know wolves will kill humans that stray into their territory, particularly we found this with Arctic wolves. Um, anyway, there's a lot of there's a lot of food for thought there. We'll yeah. get back to it. But basically, there's there were several accounts of a wolf that had just basically gone on a killing spree. Um, yeah, the wolf of Soissons is just the most extreme of these. Um, there are German accounts as well, mm. but there doesn't seem to be quite the level of hysteria for a mundane wolf in that. Although, to be honest, if it was the wolf, of, if it had been me facing that wolf of Soissons, I'd be kind of like, yeah, I'm not convinced that's an entirely natural animal because it isn't actually natural. For a wolf to go, yeah, I'm going to attack eighteen people one after the other. Yeah, or, or as like, I'm running away. <laughs> as I'm as I'm running away, is that's the thing. It really does because usually, if if something is running, it doesn't stop to kill other things unless it feels trapped by them. But yeah. it will usually just try and avoid, you know, <laughs> the path for something else. That that there was there was intention there almost, you know. Yeah. So I, you can see uh, with everything else we've talked about with the werewolf trials as well, um, obviously most, to our knowledge, were not werewolves. We had a few people there who genuinely confessed to being werewolves, sometimes before torture. Some There were two cases, I think, where people turned themselves in. Um, yeah. Which and, and they were proved to have serially murdered and raped and eaten several people. Um so some of that might have been sensationalised after the fact, but they don't appear to have had the confession tortured at them. Mm. Um, but again, this is all sort of tied up with cases where people were accused of being werewolves and what they really were were paedophiles, rapists and serial killers. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this is over a period of a couple of hundred years. So uh, again, it's not like, oh, these things were more common in the past or anything. It, it's not true. It's probably about an average number. Yeah, and France is a pretty big place. Just point that out. A very, very big place. (laughs) And, uh, well, I mean, it was a single, mostly a single kingdom at that point, but there there were still old old affiliations and what have you. Yeah. Which we all tend to forget. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, in conclusion, for the first half of our discussion about werewolves, uh, the werewolf underwent a transformation from dangerous but peaceful protector to violent, maddened monster. Yeah, a lot of this transformation was linked to the church, which is quite ironic, really, because some of the earliest werewolf tales uh, really dealt with uh, Saint Augustine of Hippo's um, of his opinion and what was understood by church doctrine at the time that evil didn't really exist evil was simply a corruption of what was good and corrupting what was good denied you the sight of god there was no real devil there was no real hell except to be denied the sight of god and then gradually those stories got twisted over time um and were utilized again as a tool by the advancing religion Mm. um and by other people I, I don't think we can assume that the pope was sat in rome saying yes give them werewolves that'll make them turn to mother church <laughs> um, i think it was a case of no i want that bishopric ergo i must burn a certain number of heretics and prove my holiness yeah and then i will get promoted so there was a lot of political machination going on there as well yes a lot of people 
treating other people like they uh, didn't really matter. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, and on that note, <laughs> well, oh no, I should we we should say obviously uh, the wolf and jaws. I think because some part of us recognises the wolf as the ultimate predator, even if it didn't, isn't, but it is like us. Um, and I think that there is some inherited guilt and wistfulness over sort of the loss of the wolf in particularly in the UK and yeah in large parts of it. we do have wolves obviously in a particular park in Scotland mm. um, there's arguments over reintroducing the wolf to certain areas um, we're not going to go into the rewilding project of wolves in the UK that's a very big topic yeah Jules and um, I have don't necessarily agree about all of it either so we we, I, no we don't I mean I think there are ways and ways and we would have better biodiversity if we did but um yeah we're not getting into aside, it <laughs> we're not getting into it all that aside um it's fascinating how when you get into just the topic of werewolves themselves that it, it is this is almost a subject for a book in its own right to be yeah. honest it's huge it is um it's a big big topic um it's a fascinating one um and of course we are going to continue on in that vein in our next episode so do be sure to tune in and find out more about how the werewolf has grown um and has start has sort of found its way into speculative fiction speaking of and before we go it is time for the dissecting dragons recommendation of the week and it will surprise nobody that i am going to be recommending jules's latest book uh where werewolves fear to prey which is it's the just werewolves sorry werewolves fear to prey sorry <laughs> I werewolves I sorry <laughs> sorry i saw where 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 um sorry werewolves fear to prey my apologies <laughs> where wolves fear to prey um <laughs> i see it's a pun it wasn't a deliberate pun unless it was a pun by lord byron but, <laughs> but i written knowing a him confusion now. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> it's the latest harker and blackthorn um book and oh man i have been waiting for this one uh because amy finally uh, goes to meet Steve's family for the wedding of his sister and their mutual friend Craig, um, who people may remember from the Unveiled series. And of course, uh, it being Harker and Blackthorn, um, nothing goes to plan. And uh, suddenly there seem to be some less than natural wolves running around and amidst all of the emotional family trauma that's being dredged up uh it makes for a very uh compelling read shall we say well, i was really worried that book was going to be boring because i'm like i'm writing about werewolves i love werewolves everyone's gonna be so bored <laughs> no but i mean like i was just super excited because i was like yes finally we're meeting steve's parents we get to see Amy confront this. 
um, which was brilliant. There are some fantastic scenes in that. I'm trying not to give any spoilers away, but certainly I think that people are really going to enjoy this and we're going to finally get some questions answered. So do check it out. It is available on Amazon now. Thank you. (laughs) And on that note, guys, we will say thank you so much for listening and we will catch you guys next week. Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast. 